Julian Mastella in the embassy in the only room for seven years that he would ever see guarded by police with cops on every street an unusual situation for the first time you should meet when Julian met Stella the time they spent was increasingly within the walls of a little tent where they could have some privacy from the ever-present gaze under which he was spending all his nights and days when Julian met Stella there was the chance of grace Perhaps the president would decide to drop the case. They had two children beneath the watchful eyes of the Americans and British and all kinds of other spies. When Julian met Stella on Embassy Row, it was before he was abducted and forced to go to Belmarsh Prison without a chance to speak, awaiting the extradition that the USA seeks. When Julian met Stella, the folks at the UN and people all around the world spoke out then. This journalist belongs among the free, not in prison for exposing crimes against humanity. When Julian met Stella, I'm David Rovix, and I am from the country to which the British authorities are trying to extradite whistleblower and journalist Julian Assange to face 175 years in prison. And I'm Kamala Emanuel, and I'm from the country Julian Assange is from, a country that has uh, so far refused and failed to defend Julian over these last many years. And we would like to invite you to come along to a constant rally to free Julian Assange. It's going to be held in Belgium in Brussels, in the Place de la Monnaie, uh, at 2 p.m. this Saturday, the 23rd of April. Okay, let's see here. Hey guys, I think we're gonna forego the intro today because we have a really important topic and it's really important to start on time. So I have a few things to read. Hello, Blotty. Good morning. A um, couple things to read. It's been a long time since the summer of 2020, also dubbed the uh, summer of love. Um, so I want to read this this uh, Orwellian newspeak, uh, twit longer than I did back in the day. So there's, I called it. Orwellian 1984 Newspeak for 2020. So it's kind of like an update. And at that time it was uh, July of 2020. So the following content includes trigger warnings for racism and gender norms. And these are trigger warnings for totalitarians who do not actually have PTSD. They just resemble the idea of PTSD. Um, Newspeak phrases for 2020 are as follows. Mass exposure and rental of personal information is privacy. Single source monopoly is competition. Recitation of pre-scripted rhetoric is freedom of speech. Coercion is consent. Truth is misinformation. Tolerance is intolerance. Inclusion is exclusion 
regression is progressive, segregation is unity, racism is anti-racism, citizens are colonizers, autonomy is being owned by the collective, anarchism is law and order, public spaces are private property, homelessness is affordable housing, having nothing is abundance, cancellation or economic sanctioning is economic freedom, kneeling is standing up for your rights, one party rule is democracy, compulsory participation is choice, freedom is slavery. This has been your re-education tutorial for the remainder of 2020. Sincerely me. Also, there's one additional trope I wanted to share with you. It's an open letter to big tech, sea levels, because they are so much part of the problem. So, dear tech CEO, this letter is not about your brand. This is about your presumptive, arrogant approach to U.S. government and the people of the United States who organize around choices and principles of consent. God opposes the proud. The root problem with your company is that your data governance is a coercive model based on serfdom. That's not a technical issue. The systems you architected have been built around feudalism. So the governance is not modern at all. In fact, it's far too regressive for the U.S. and the West. It makes sense that you lie to Congress, you openly bribe our political actors, you issue statements inverse to your actions, you partner up with other derivative feudal systems like communism and those who identify with the caste systems, your financial governance models are based on antiquated, reverse-geared government that has nothing to do with options or the choice of the people in your ecosystem. You treat people like virtual property. And there is zero, zero, zero way that can comport with human rights, modern monetary policy, or the interest of U.S. national sovereignty. A nation under 300 years old born to aspiring principles to be free from feudalism. You are modern slavers. You go for it every day, all day long, in America. You think you're awesome, and we should thank you. You think by dropping your tax break largesse on grievance mobs, more democratic bribery, that you will evade detection? You can entertain this delusion as you have, and probably will continue to do. It is my duty to tell you, though. Slavery is a human rights crime, recognized by most modern nations on this planet. I see you. Your era of involuntary silo detention, conscription of our data in a currency war against our own country, and using personalized intelligence against the individual will not work. You are headed for failure. The American people whom you have betrayed with your larceny and treachery are coming for you. It won't be pitchforks and tiki torches. As my enemy, my compassion is to give you opportunities. Surrender now. Correct your grievance models. Or, and your governance models with some immediate change management or your tower is coming down. It may not be me, it may not be today, but I guarantee you it is coming. 
you don't represent this nation in any legitimate way, you do not conform to our legal system, and you do not have the consent of the governed. You already have lost in so many ways because your messaging is completely worthless. Your actions are our vision. It is all we need to make the case. The U.S. civic dollar shall not, shall not, shall not supply your commerce, and you shall not contravene our national national interest by providing intelligence as a service upon a CCP mandate. Eat crow. Sincerely, me. Hello! I'm so glad to see everybody. I'm so glad you're all here. Um, okay, so this is the kind of after uh, after the blowback talk session. So I have Blotty with me here up in the first in the call queue. So we're asking the question, was it worth it? What did you get out of racism redefined? So I'm going to go ahead and take Blotty here. I, I know he's itching to say something. So go ahead and unmute your mic, Blotty, and start the conversation. Well, regarding, uh, and good morning. I'm over here in sunny California. Um, regarding racism, it's not that it's redefined. It's, uh, well, we do know it is, but the problem is it's being cheapened. It's being destroyed to the point that when you start calling white people racist when they're not racist, when they have nothing to do with white supremacy and they're honorable people, society. And does that mean everybody? No, it's, you know, by individual. Uh, you know, or you call out even blacks or Hispanic races because they're Trump support. I mean, that word racism, discrimination is going to be put in the trash bin of history. And we'll never be able to use it again. In a way, I think, thankfully, you know what? Since it's the left that presses that bullshit, it's good. Let's do away with it. And that hopefully will end, uh, which will be far a far stretch, it will end all true racism. But yes, does racism, be, is it being redefined? Yeah, in many ways. You mentioned a lot of the uh, organizations that are responsible for it because they're promoting. I think Michael Savage said, beware the government media complex. We know of the military-industrial complex, but we beware. And he called this out almost 20 years ago, give or take. And what happened? Now we're seeing a fulfillment like never before. We saw it with the Trump era. And we're still seeing this disgusting media that's called the fake news. And they're still pushing that narrative. They're responsible for this bullshit. They're responsible. And they should be made responsible and accountable. Because they put racism where it doesn't belong. They called Larry Elder during his uh, run in the recall election uh, last year against Gavin Newsom. They called him a racist. They called him the black face of racism in the LA Times. And it was by a Hispanic uh, a journalist editor. Disgusting. Because I'm Hispanic. We don't, and I love Larry Elder. He's awesome. And he's not a racist. So when you misuse the word racism... It, it, it gets cheapened. I think Dennis Prager said it very well. It gets cheapened. It loses its value. So the day will come when you try to use it as a Trump card, no pun intended with Donald Trump or anything, as a Trump card, and guess what? <laughs> it will have lost its power. It will be useless. But you know what? I'm happy that in a way it's happening. It just, it's, it's, it's just horrible the way it's being done, usually mostly against good God-loving, American, red-blooded American, whites. I love white people. I love all people because I'm a people person. But a lot of my teachers were, were white and Christian, too. That's why I love them. 
And I know they're not like that. I know they're not like that. Not all of them are like that. Not even close. Not even 98, not even 90. You call out everybody that you don't like and even call white Mexicans racist and they don't got a damn <laughs> racist bone in them. You're just calling them out because they have Spanish descended yeah, or French that descended. Was exhausting. That's disgusting. I, I that know. Is it's, disgusting. it's really exhausting. It's it is disgusting because... Yeah, I'm with it. I'm with it. And the thing is, is I, that- I have white in my family. I got Mississippi white on my nephew's side for crying out loud. I have French <laughs> and Spanish on my Mexican side. My my sisters and my nephews are white. They don't care, dude. They don't. They don't care because they're anti-racist people. Are actually they're they're Marxist opportunists, and their whole thing is to burn it all down. And it's not it's not your fault. I have been dealing with, with the left in kind of like a direct enfrente, you know, when I was in Western Washington, and it was so shocking, you know, for a while. It was it was super shocking to deal with people who were completely belligerent, totally indoctrinated, absolutely anarchist. They wanted to take down all forms of police and fire protection. And, you know, I'd never seen anybody be so so sincere about anarchism. But then they wanted to hand the ball to the communists after they did that. So that's what anarcho-communism is. I, I just learned about it. And the people who were running the cities and in the local government had a permissive attitude towards anarcho-communists. They were wrecking the streets, literally wrecking the streets. They sat up a camp and had open carry guns like AR-15s in the middle of Seattle. A very anti-gun place, by the way. And they were tolerated for nearly like over 90 days the public had to deal with them they set up weird little stupid gardens in in the park Hal Anderson Park you know and and you know the area became a huge laughing stock but there was crime you know and these aren't mentally balanced people who knew how to run things they were anarchists grubby like para homeless uh you know people with mental health issues and drug problems um, who couldn't hold down a job in most cases you know barely competent but they were standing around with guns and aiming them at people and, and trying to charge them to get inside of their own apartment buildings during a pandemic during a pandemic okay there wasn't any any COVID police upon them yet you know, and it's really hard for me to talk about this without getting kind of emotional, but I want you to know that it was it was insult and insult and insult upon injury that the state of Washington, after they got a vaccine, decided to impose very strict uh, strict requirements. For people to take the vaccine if they were in public service which means that if they shed police forces because they would not take the vaccine but people also lost their jobs okay they lost their jobs due to DEI and they lost their jobs because of COVID you know and some of them just haven't come back so 
there was a double it was like a double whammy it's like they didn't want people in the economy at all but I'm just talking about the anarcho-communist element that was involved in Seattle at that time they let these folks run things in, in July of 2020 and then they try to redefine racism they tried to change the meaning of racism so that if they did aggressive acts towards normative people people who were just going about their business um, then this was now legal it was lawful to commit acts of assault on people and the police would be asked to not not pick people up if there was an assault upon you know a citizen especially if they might be white you know uh, I, and you know this isn't a defense of, of white people or whiteness it's it's a defense against insanity because people were afraid they were being assaulted I'd never seen anything like it in my life it was it was worse than third third world because things were just kind of turned over and there was a fear there to be anywhere near it and when they came to Kirkland the town that I lived in there were people there that un wanted law and order so because they had seen what had happened to Seattle uh, they called their friends from Issaquah and Snoqualmie and they came out and they they perched with guns on the corners of the streets and the business owners came out and boarded up their shops a week after they got the green light to open their properties for business again during the pandemic this is a week after and then here comes Antifa with their black flags they're they're coming over and they they're threatening they're threatening the business owners how they're gonna they're gonna turn everything out and then they the the people with guns showed up and then they left because you you can't bring guns to 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 a situation when you don't have any and they they didn't have anything they didn't have anything so they left so but they were they were be, definitely be, be careful Shayla. Be careful, yeah. Shayla, because everything you just said the last 10 minutes, you're a racist. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I, I you're think a racist, guilty, according man. to them. I know. It's not, it wasn't worth it, man. I mean, it wasn't worth it for them. Because there's more of us than there are of them. And I'm nor I am officially Normcore right now. And, and when you sanction Normcore, they're, they're going to they're gonna fight back. This is unreasonable. And we it's not government we agreed to. And um, so... I just I just wanted to to offer that that kind of you know collegiate society for for people who who have their own stories. So I want to allow other people to speak. Blade, do you have any any uh, final ideas before I move to the next mic? No, you're good to go. Thank you. Okay, thank thank you, Blade. Thank you for joining. I, I hope you'll stick around and and listen to the other stories. So I have unchanged. Um, the second power. So let's go ahead. Thanks, Blotty. Trying to get you um, to make the next caller. Okay, go ahead, Unchange. Unmute your mic. Introduce yourself. So, ha was it worth it? 
was the uh, what did you get out of racism redefined? Go ahead and un unmute your mic. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to perhaps like address like can we look for commonalities perhaps between I mean I know it's it's not, it just tuning in like just tuning into a random bunch of different stuff and calling really is just like where where are you calling in from? Taiwan. Taiwan. Okay. Taiwan's a, a really important place right now. Exactly. Um, Go ahead. Looking at sort of the commonalities between perhaps, I mean, I know they were saying this in another pod, pod, another uh, call-in, but like the commonalities between like, you know, the populist right, the populist left, particularly, and even just looking at the commonalities between sort of BLM and like the, the, the movement you're talking about, like what what can we find similar? I mean, and I don't want to, I don't associate myself with any identity. I'm just somebody that presupposes difference and thinks that, you know, all perspectives are important. You know, we're just, if we prioritize difference and presuppose, uh, you know, if we prioritize identity, presuppose identity, then we're just trapped in difficult places. And I'm just saying, like, what commonalities can we see between the BLM stuff and the right, particularly, for example. I mean, of course, you see. Oh, oh, the authoritarian elements. You mean? Well, actually, the libertarian elements, right? Like the, I mean, and actually, like Murray Rothbard was quite big on this. Like the the famous anarcho. You were talking about anarcho communism, but he was an anarcho capitalist, right? And he was talking a lot mm. about how the right and left actually have a lot more. And if you look at the radical right, the radical left, they look, have a lot more in agreement than they do disagreement. But much of the time, yeah. we end up presupposing identity such that it push, pushes us away from what we have in common. And something that we clearly have in common yeah. is if you look at the philosopher Jürgen Habermas, he talks about communicative rationality. And there's one of his students was a guy called Her, Herz Hermann Hoppe or something. And he also talks about the same thing, but from a right-wing position. So Her, Habermas was on the left, he was on the right. And they were both talking about the fact that Ultimately, in order to be able to do anything anyway in society, we need to have freedom of speech and we need to be able to have our voices heard. And, you know, calling yeah, yeah, that's absolutely crucial in this. And so you can see that the BLM, to some extent, and a lot of it obviously became violent and dangerous, and that's understandable, but a lot of right, right-wing positions have also become violent and dangerous. But both of the groups are just ultimately trying to fight to be heard, in a sense, it seems. And so there's mm. a great degree of commonality between the groups in terms of, I mean, you see the similarities you already mentioned in terms of like mm -hmm. gun ownership, et cetera, et cetera, putting themselves in a position where they feel like they have the empowerment where they're actually able to be heard by society. Well, I mean, can, can I respond to that? I'd really love to yeah, respond exactly. ahead, to, yeah. to your, <laughs> to your queries. Okay. The problem was, is that violence was redefined during this time. Uh, Nonviolence became violence, meaning speech became a version of violence and speech yeah, is not true. violence yeah i always um, say i always say I'm, I'm a teacher by trade right and one of the key lessons i fucking learned early in school was sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me since when did we become not physically so fucking obsessed with the violence of words it's like they're just fucking words you know? because they're seeking to censor uh viewpoints that that don't manufacture yeah, yeah, any political benefit for them. That, that is, it's really rote. Uh, the the people the who same, are in charge of this movement, the Marxist BLM movement, which ended up being by large mansions, by the way, uh, they 
they ended up getting overfunded based on guilt policy, guilt, shock, and awe. Um, you know, it's it was just really something that they'd been able to to pull off because one poor man, George Floyd, died, and then they they milked the misery and uh, bad feelings of the public. But it's not the original radical elements of that movement that were trying to censor anything. They were just trying to be heard. Like, I mean, it's the I, I do thing. believe that at the, that at the beginning and through 2015, BLM was a legitimate, uh, you know, placement movement who Rapper, wanted yeah, uh, authentic yeah. policy. Uh, and, but they had lousy, lousy policy reforms. They did not want any debate whatsoever. If you had a contra policy or just a nuanced policy that was a bit different, they wanted to take you off the table, period. Okay? They only wanted unilateral conformity to their ideals, meaning they want to remove the third branch of government, all police, and all public defense. Okay, so and that yeah, leaves yeah. who who to defend the public good? Who to defend the public good, yeah. my friend? And yeah, and for American to... governance, they did not have the consent of the governed. They didn't have the consent of the people. Yeah. They had the consent of some of the people, yeah, but they were uh, shouted out, so. shouted down so with such such trained force yeah, of the uh, struggle. Shaming confessions. Yeah, yeah, okay, but, I think they were. I think they were trained by CCP yeah, operatives, right, dude. Right, right. Okay, perhaps, but um, you do have to look at. I mean, the original manifestation of the movement was just a response to the, the circumstances that unfolded. But you have to contextualize it historically and see that the way in which that movement then became sort of like oriented towards the sort of like institutionalization that you're talking about was mm. kind of inevitable within the systemic structures that exist and the, why why I mean, inevitable because the that's that's an interesting choice of words why inevitable because the, the structures as they exist will inevitably lead groups to territorialization with the, within the framework of the existing structure they won't allow those groups to maintain themselves as this deterritorializing element that would actually pose a threat to the system itself well, I mean, I think that, that all all groups should have parity if they have free speech, but what we've learned in some some uh, shakeout through this, th- th- this is one of the hidden benefits. I, I, think you're, I think that's what you're kind of trying to tease out here is that there was a hidden benefit and is that is that our system has an imperfect placard for hearing one another and for allowing speech to be public. So this is one of the benefits of calling. Anyone could literally get a program and and air their beliefs, um, share their yeah, ideas. I mean, this is kind of the argument of someone like um, jo, what's his name, Johan Goltung, the famous theorist of conflict studies, and he talks about you know, the triangle of conflict and how most conflict mm-hmm. emerges from the disempowerment of groups, and it basically uh, it's a form of cultural violence where. You know, groups end up victimized, or like they, or they end up perceiving themselves as victims of oppression. Whether it's real or not, it doesn't really, it doesn't really matter. But they end up basically they just don't have their voices heard. And so, what's so important in a society is ensuring that voices do have, you know, are, are capable of being heard in a meaningful way. And so much of the time that things turn violent is simply because of the fact that people's voices aren't heard, or, or they don't have the platforms or the space in which to communicate these things. And 
Okay, let, 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 me, let me break in. I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to respond to that. I'd like to respond to that because I myself was somebody who was not heard. Okay, yeah. yet I did not go out into the street and torch an innocent building business or person because I had no, no speech, no functional speech rights at that time. But I guarantee you, I learned to appreciate the internet and podcasting once again because I wasn't able to go to my local city council and be there in person. I had to use Zoom. And Zoom is a huge deterrent for me because I don't want to filter all of my speech through through a, a PRC vesicle where they control all things. Okay, I, I really have I have reservations about that. I really don't believe that that they should benefit in any way from from the use and and for, you know use using my voice as a as coin as property. This is why calling is so so effective. It's just this public radio again. It's like it's the it's it's. I don't know who Marshall McLuhan is, but the famous sort of Canadian theorist of media studies, he famously says the medium is the message, right? Like, the, mm. it's not the content of the, the messages that we distribute that's really that important. It's actually the medium that we use to distribute those messages. And so when you have public radio, it just gives people this space to actually fucking share their opinions and, you know, host their opinions or whatever and have this space for interaction at a communal community level that is just so empowering and so important yeah, but 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 let's get back to the idea, you know, because we were talking about speech as violence, speech and or, but but it's not the speech that's violence; it's the suppression of speech that's violence, yeah, or perceived sure. as violence. Now, what happened during BLM is that they got their audience, but then they repudiated to absolution anyone who had a different point of view whatsoever. There wasn't parody. There wasn't a willingness to 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 you know share the microphone with the five second light and get, then get off the stage and let the next guy speak there wasn't any of that nobody passed the talking stick they took the talking stick and then they beat the crowd with it that's what happened why do you think that is why do i think they did that yeah why do you think that was the sort of the inevitable outcome of this movement it, I do not believe it was an inevitable outcome by any means. I believe it was a choice and it was strategic by the people who are Marxist at the BLM movement because they believe in critical theory. And critical theory why, is, why is it all a totalitarian in nature and autocratic. And in order for them to completely dominate the definitions of all the speech, they needed to criminalize the other, which is all sanctioning is about. Yeah, and that's yeah. I mean, self other the whole the whole dichotomy itself. Criminalizing the other, and you, sir, would be oh, the yes. other. I mean, if you are not out. BLM, even if you were an ally, you could be thrown into the meat grinder in a second. Hey, Everybody's I mean, I a useful idiot. Go ahead. What what I'm saying is then that what fundamentally is the problem there is the this dichotomization between the self and the other in the first place. I don't know because they don't they don't get that that the they don't put out a release other, that they're going to do core, self and other dude. This ontological separation between self and other which is the core of our social organization in the west is crucial to this development of the, that's why I say inevitable rather than conspiratorial but um yeah I mean the the, the 
I've kind of lost my point. Anyway, yeah. So I mean, the, this distinction between self and other is crucial because the othering, as you mentioned, is is so crucial to the way in which these okay. these, these, these movements end up going. But what I was going to say was that okay, we can we might dis- dispute whether it's inevitable or not. But then, if we look at similar movements from the right or from the left or from any other position in society, they all end up down the same track often. And so, why is it that there's such sort of coherence in the way in which these movements develop? Coherence. Now that that's an, a marvel. That's something I'm going to have to kind of I mean, look let's, at. Let's take let's a look. Um, I'm going to think take, about uh, that. Occupy Wall Street, for example. I mean, I guess it didn't go down the same violent track as others, but it just it, ultimately it just dissipated into nothing. Yeah, I mean, it really needed the the steam. They had a really good advantage. They had yeah, one. It was, good it was unifying. It was like there was everybody was involved, right? And it was all groups. Well, the, the reason groups. why they were involved, though, was because they people were kettled inside of their homes during a damn pandemic, and everybody had their televisions on with nothing to do. Well, no, Occupy Wall Street. I mean, Occupy Wall Street worked because it actually gave it, just like uh, Martin Luther King was trying to do. It was sort of this. It was this class critique rather than a, 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 a sort of race-based critique, which is was the problem with BLM. Was that it ended up becoming all sort of ethnic identity-based, and it's just bullshit. Like, I mean, it's if you're going to form an effective sort of critique of society, it has to be unified. I, I have a secondary people. theory. I have a secondary theory that that you know it's it would fold into what you're saying i would say that there there was definitely people who who identified with you know with compassionate uh feelings towards the suffering of of the black community maybe being over criminalized at times um they had been hearing about it with with strong um strong feelings since michael brown and 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 wondering what to do to this day, there isn't any marketed policy changes that have been taken place. Um, there's been some QI reform. And, you know, the thing is, is that the only thing that will shape or improve the atmosphere around police brutality and any kind of institutional, existing institutional racism, because there is some, okay? I will not exclude that there is none unconditionally that there is no institutional racism in the federal government or in the police forces. I won't admit that because it's not true. Okay. There is some, there is some racism in the society. There is some, but it is not to the magnitude that it would qualify a holistic deletion of the otherwise well-intended, uh, uninvolved, unincorporated, uh, you know, middle normative America who's just going about their day trying to get their bills paid and making those people some sort of, you know, ostracizable commodity to trade, yeah, like, you know, join or die. Just, I mean, at the same time, they are also just going about their day, which is not a neutral position. It's one of conformity. According to you. Well. According to you, it is not a neutral position. I think it is a completely... Uh, it's a completely free position. A person in America should elect to do whatever they choose to do. 
you know, they can, yeah, they can pick I up. Mean, if they're electing to choose to follow the status quo, then that, that's a choice that they're making to follow the status quo. It is the a choice. Is, is, is extremely they have no obligation to you or any political movement. If they, if they choose to be uninvolved, that is their choice, and that is the choice of a free person. Absolutely. But, I mean, the, the, the point being is that choosing to follow the status quo is also a choice to follow the status quo, and the status quo, as we all know well, is problematic. At times it can be, but you know you don't let other people. The problem with BLM is that they they decided to define for the majority, according to the decisions and the priorities of a minority, an extreme minority. Okay, and I'm not saying minority because they're black, minority because they were a politicized Marxist field day. And they did not absorb the choices yeah, I mean, or the Marxist, discussion Marxist, of the rest of us. Marxist misunderstood, perhaps. I mean, that's the problem is that we end up labeling these people with these kinds of Do you like, speak for the Marxists, sir? <laughs> I don't speak or do you, for are you just playing Marxist. devil's advocate? I, I've read Marx, and I, I think I understand Marx like, reasonably well. And I would just say that... I mean, do you, are, are you, are you kind Marxist. of advocating the Marxist position for the sake of, of the discussion? Um, I'm just saying that these people never represented a Marxist position in the first place. They it's did, a, though. A, it came out in the wash that BLM and, and who they are... Useful, like, communists and Marxists are just useful labels that the right use to label these groups to dismiss them. Well, I mean, you know, the communists use their labels. They get to, they got to label everybody else. Why shouldn't we label them? Because they're just repeating the same process that they're engaged in, which is just labeled. Well, I mean, you need you need something. You've got to be able to encapsulate in PR yeah, and in public relay. You have to be able to say something. Well, they have to grow up and move past the labeling bullshit. Well, I mean, there there's there's reasons based on time and efficiency where you you label the thing. But if you don't, if you're going to overlabel or yeah, use it as a weapon, it's racism that somebody else pointed out. Just a form of okay, racism. but they're try they try to redefine, and this is very Orwellian. Okay, they want to manipulate the meanings of things, the meanings of a, the yeah, English yeah. language. If you say Marxist, if you apply Marxist to them, you're doing the same fucking thing in response to what they do. They, they describe themselves as Marxist. I'm using their own words. Yes, incorrectly. Like, they, they have obviously don't have a clue about what they're, you know, let's speak to like Janet Sarafat. Why would they not have a clue? Why would they wear it on their chest? Well, Why would they behave in a Marxist totalitarian yeah. manner if they weren't Marxists? Let's speak to an actual Marxist like Yanis Varoufakis or somebody else who actually understands Marx and has read him very carefully and see what he has to say about BLM and he would obviously discard most of their opinions. Okay, well, you know what? Here, here's what I'm going to tell you. This is, they are jailbreak Marxists, bro. Jailbreak Marxists. Okay, and that is Trotsky. That's Trotsky. Read okay, Marx that was that's both Soviet. Marx, both Marx and Trotsky were fighting for the very thing that you seem to be fighting for. But you just, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's like it's like it's like libertarians you know, who are like eco libertarians, and then ideas, you know, like fucking hell, like, Marx has a lot of interesting ideas to share. Those, so does Trotsky. They're not. You can't just dismiss. I wish I didn't. You know what? I, I want to go back to the place where I could. I don't have to care about Marxism because they hog the stage. But they the really did. Mark, I gotta take the next caller, bro. I, I'm sorry. Your 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 time is up. I gotta take the next guy. Just fucking 
pointless beliefs prioritizing my head. Dade, you're up. All right, Dade. Unmute your mic. Hey, how's it going? That that yeah, could have gone on forever. Because like I can't I can't unmarxist every the world. We're trying to unmarx the situation anyway. They they caused the stage. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to stay too long, but yeah. That well, was let me so ask painful. you what what uh, what did you get out of this racism redefined discussion here? You know, was it worth it? You know. Well, was let it me worth first it? say that I, I missed the, probably the majority of your call in today so i probably didn't get more than i did get out of it you know i really only just listened to that last back and forth and kind of just called in to make it stop <laughs> but um i'm sorry oh about that. if you want to well no, i mean I, it, it's it's fine i mean he was he was actually he was actually doing fine but i didn't i didn't want to sit here and and argue with the guy ad nauseum about what marxism is because marxism was getting too much of a stage to begin with and that, well, that was my like, point. I mean, you're talking about these people that are self-describing as with this term. So, like, it's not really a, it's not really a point to be like, well, I've read Marx and I don't think they're Marxists. Well, like, they call themselves Marxists, so it's fair for you to categorize them as such. Yeah, if as advertised, as I say. <laughs> and they are Trotsky. They they were they were using the Soviet playbook, you know, for the whole jailbreak. Go get the, uh, go. Go eviscerate the the prison system. Get all those yeah. people well, you know out of jail. They were it? running around during COVID, man. They they got a uh, an administrative jailbreak during if COVID. If you follow the lineage and the history around 2016, was really the first time that the group got a lot of attention and notoriety, but they were never able to get as successful as they were in 2020. And like, I think that rehabilitation, because if you look at the, you know, like the polling of how people think about the organization, um, it was actually pretty, if I'm what I understand, pretty low in the US in like 2017. <clears throat> Most people did not think of it, you know, like in a positive view. And then it wasn't until 2020 that it became extremely popular. And there's probably a crossover there with like a, a theological, religious, um, longing in society that was made even more intense in the face of a pandemic that was filled, you know, a void, a religious void that was filled. At least that's how it felt. Well, they, they needed an altruistic vehicle and they weren't allowed to attend church. They weren't allowed to worship with one another, but they said, this is something I can do for the good, for the betterment of society to make it right. And so they just, they just, they just took all of that and they just dumped into the streets and, um, but the rest of it, that was political opportunism. You know, the, the outliers, right. the, the, the strategic, the people who were really committed, the people with, well, you there's know, levels to who it, right? put the I mean, bricks like... out there and, and black block folks, <laughs> they were committed. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> well, there's certainly um, levels to it. And I think that the, you know, the kind of ritualistic aspect of going out was very like healing and comforting for a lot of people that were absent and without community for so long. And, uh, you know, I will also say that in June, I attended a Black Lives Matter march. I was personally the most 
disgusting thing about the entire George Floyd event, even to me, almost greater than the actual event itself was how the prosecutor acted in the days following. And I think that's a big part of the story that often gets overlooked for those who attended the marches. One of the things that was a big motivating factor for so many people coming out was how the prosecutor had initially said that he is uninterested in pressing charges at first, which is, you know, I think three days later, he changed his mind on that because of public pressure. But that was, to me, it was, it wasn't even so much the event, but the prosecutor openly saying the next day, well, there's nothing to see here. I'm not pressing any charges. You know, that to me was, was unacceptable. And, you know, that's why I decided to go out in support of the people who were calling this behavior out. And as you stated, there's been, you know, very little legal changes that have happened. That being said, also to your point, it's like there's levels to this. When you talk about how many people went out and marched versus like what you're saying, the people that were truly committed and the people who are, you know, part of the actual organization, I think that's when you begin to see big, big um, differences in, in beliefs. And of course, it was extremely radical and and truly Marxist be, um ideology that was at the root of it, which is what led to the approval rating, again, dropping so low by 2021, you know, as you kind of said, well, you know, they, they took the talking stick and instead of passing it around, they beat people over the head with it. Of course, we all remember like people in, in marches coming up to, to people who are sitting down eating and asking them to, you know, denounce whatever or proclaim their support for whatever. And it's simple, like bullying tactics, truly, which was also disgusting to see and, and why I stopped participating in these protests. Um, but yeah, no, I well, just then came in. Did, did it surprise you that you were suddenly became the enemy one day? Like you're like, you're out there marching with them one day because it happened almost overnight. Uh, you, you know, one day you're you're someone who's who's really trying to be a part of a of an altruistic cause and make a, make a change for the difference. And then the next day... You realized, oh well, Dade kill Whitey, and you're, well, I think you're it just the next. You look you're at just it. the next guy. You're in the. They put you in the bag with David Duke. Well, I think Did you know that you, you were out it. there marching with people who were going to put you in the bag with David Duke the next week? I think again. I think it depends how you look at it. Like, let's say you have there's there's a lot of black people who support Donald Trump. Right. There's a lot of people who are extremely racist who support Donald Trump. And so, you know, would you you could also turn that around and say, you know, how do you feel that the people who you are marching with look at you as X, Y and Z? But I think overall, when you talk about greater, broader social movements that, you know, millions and millions of people participate in, it really does become greater than the minority of people who hold the levers of power. And okay. Look at well, these let me let me ask you a challenging question because it sure. wasn't you know just a just a casual slam on on white folks. They started to get people involved in corporateering and stakeholder activism and DEI hires to actively sanction people that didn't obey the BLM you know orthodoxy at work. And that became an act of sanction by critical theory. It invaded companies 
and then uh, you know what we the fruit of it is what we saw at Disney. Okay, it it it, it tossed over into to gender. Okay, so they they moved the cheese from BLM who who'd lost their legitimacy because they had done all kinds of corrupt things with their money and also had alienated so many supporters and former allies, people who who wanted to 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 get the reform, people who wanted wanted positive change, and instead they got betrayal and they got uh, used uh, for a Marxist movement. And so because that became really fairly transparent, they moved their cheese to the transgender um, iconography, and anybody who doesn't, you know, use their pronouns or do what we want, well, they're just they're just transphobes, and they're. I bad mean, people. I see it. I see it as overlapping, but that's still that's I still struggle shaming. I mean, I see it as overlapping, but unrelated because I think you can look at the, you know, the LGBTQ stuff as honestly predating 2016. We're talking about the trans, you know, conversation that's going on in the United States. I think this is independent of the racial conversation. Both of these things, you know, I think people. I, I don't. Are... I don't necessarily agree because of the flags. They they integrated. They integrated those two two movements. So that there would be one flag for all the politics. Do you, do you yeah, know what that flag question, looks like? No, I don't. Go ahead. What is it? Okay. Well, it's it's kind of like this. Okay, the rainbow flag is the pride flag, right? Everybody knows what the mm-hmm. rainbow pride flag looks like. Well, this is kind of like this is an amalgam of like it's got several chevrons, like a chevron with brown and pink and all this other stuff with overlapping the the rainbow pride and then another jettison chevron of some sort coming from the top so there were like there's like layers of different movements um that were kind of like compacted in this one flag and if you've never seen it you know i I, it sounds like you've never seen it they did integrate their movements and so it became so strange at some point I i wanted to just tell you what happened to me I have a neighbor, she's Canadian-American, and she approached me, I think it was sometime in the summer of 2020, and she, she apologized to me for slavery of her ancestors in Canada who were Scottish of other white people. That happened. Yeah, I mean, I mean, listen, that's interesting. But, I mean, honestly, it's like there's been highly inflammatory things that have come out of many movements. I I used the Trump movement before, so I'll use it again. Like, there's no shortage of highly inflammatory flags that are flown at Trump rallies. And, like, does that minority speak for the majority? Because you keep saying... No, no, I mean, I I think it's clear among people who are, are, you know, free speech advocates that that they're going to use their speech rights to be assholes. I, I I think it's fairly clear. And what is that? I, I don't understand. I'm, I'm saying that I don't think that there's any fair way for you to say that they, you know, this quote unquote, they integrated. Well, these I, two the, the, the Trump and the right, you know, people on the right side of things like they they routinely test the limits. They routinely test the limits of free speech by saying asshole things. Well, you know what? I, I think that I think that, and, and, that... and the and the ultra left does the same thing. But. They don't want to take everybody off the stage. That's sanctioning. That's new. That's different. That didn't happen before 2020. That's new. Okay, that started happening 
you know, I, the first time I started noting, noticing like the whole deplatforming and, you know, canceling people's uh, credit accounts and that sort of things, because that, those are the kinds of things that started happening as well. So there was medical sanctioning, there was speech sanctioning, there was, uh, there was deplatforming, there was uh, financial sanctioning. You know, if they didn't go along to get along with some of this, this, you know, two minutes of hate every day. Tell me you didn't well, witness that, that. Oh, no, I certainly did. But the You thing did? Is, like, if, okay, was it worth you, it? Was what worth it? Was it worth you it, know, I, you know, getting involved, like these, these BLM, giving them all the, the credit and the charge and, and the, you know, the money and everything like that? Was it worth it? Was it worth it? Okay. No, but again, you're, you're no. creating no, a framing that I don't buy into. So first off, you can attend the rallies without giving money. Secondly, not every rally was organized by the organization, which is what you're speaking about because you're blurring I'm the talking about the B- lawn sign BLM. That's what, that's what well, I'm talking about. Lawn sign if I could BLM. finish my point, if I could finish my point, Go there's ahead. a difference Sorry, between the organization itself and the people who went out onto the street. There's a clear difference there. One doesn't speak for the other. Too, when you're talking about deplatforming, it's like there's a long history of deplatforming in the U.S. that predates what you're talking about, especially if you pay attention to anti-imperial and anti-war voices. To this day, the people who are most censored in the U.S. who don't get talked about on the left or the right by mostly anyone are people who are anti-war voices. I'll give you an example. Lee Camp is probably the most censored person in the United States, but neither the left nor the right carries him as, you know, someone that they support. And, you know, someone as an example of free speech, X, Y, and Z. These things actually predate the modern culture war. And the culture war is really just tapping into trends that have existed in the U.S. for a long time. Truly, the the introduction of the internet has just allowed people to be more aware of those who are being censored. It's become much harder to censor people in the modern age than it used to be because it's much easier for everyone to pay attention to it and finally it's like is it worth it well i'm still very proud of having attended that rally because i'm still disgusted by the behavior of the prosecutor and i do firmly believe if it wasn't for people taking to the streets that prosecutor wouldn't have pressed charges so it's like i don't begin my analysis of the issue three steps later i I began at the beginning well i appreciate you calling in i i just want to let you know that that I am enjoying the benefits of free speech right now. And you are also enjoying them with me, hopefully. I can't I can't speak for your enjoying, but 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 I am hosting a room where you're able to speak freely. I I can be an anti-war supporter and support the voices of the anti-war movement um by choice. No one is squelching me. No one is deplatforming me for for supporting Julian Assange, which did happen. Yet. Wait until you build an well, audience. I, nobody's... It, it's not happening, okay? You don't prosecute crimes that have not happened. So well, that, that's one like of the benefits is that I have sharpened my uh, ability to say, okay, okay, what is crime? Okay? And if no crime has occurred, then the public doesn't get to prosecute. No crime has occurred. So it's it's fairly simple. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go to the next caller. I appreciate you, Dade. Thank
thank you for for being a part of this. It's, it's made it a better a better day. Thank you. So I'm going to go ahead and let Unchanged have a few more moments. Okay, Mr. Unchanged, unmute your mic. Make your point. Be brief. Oh no, I mean, I was just, I, I just thought that a lot of what the other caller just said was was you know resonated a lot and. Um that he was trying to speak to, you know, what we have more in common with each other than, than, than what we have different. And I think it's so important that we emphasize that. I mean, you see particularly on like, I mean, well, you see Glenn Greenwald doing a lot of this sort of stuff, you know, in terms of his willingness to just go on Fox and generally sort of have relations, in, emphasizing the relations between the sort of, it's not even right to use the term radical, left, radical right or anything at this point. It's just sort of like, human beings that care about free speech and like being able to actually, you know, have meaningful conversations about shit rather than like dismissing things outright by prioritizing identity in, in those relations, you know? And uh, yeah. Principles versus, versus identity quorum. And, and exactly. the thing is, is that yeah. an, an identity quorum does have a place at certain times with certain issues, certain things do have an identity quorum. But not all things are identity. And that's one of the things that became a, a giant balloon, a, a complete and utter distortion. Because I know black people have other priorities other than race. I happen to be a yeah, multiracial person myself. I know that I have other priorities. I mean, I can't yeah, just be really, about race yeah, all day why, long. Hence why Martin Luther King and Malcolm X are both so sort of prioritizing class with regards to relations because it, it was such an op it, it, it was you know there's but i would say this you know take there's, there's more in common between like a poor white man and a poor black man than there is between a black man and obama for example uh, right? i've I mean, seen like, a lot of poor black white couples as a result yeah i mean like they poor just people get have much other. more in common with poor people have much more in common with each other than black people have in common with each other um uh, i you know i'm not gonna do, do yeah I'm going to stay so again, away from that. I don't speak for any black people. It's so easy. It's so easy. I'm going to chump out. I mean, I don't support Marx's ultimate conclusion because it prioritizes class in a way that also just leads to identitarian politics, which is problematic. But the, I mean, I'm just saying that, like, like I mean, you like you ended up dismissing Marx stuff outright, and it's just like, look, I mean, just read some of the stuff. Like, you know, did you expect any other response? Like, I have a libertarian, you know, underpinning. It's not, it's not something I would. It, Marxism is is a cage, man. It is, it is a road to serfdom. Like, if you look at Marx, if you look at Marx, it, it like, is. Marx, I mean, Marx, I just, I just Marx came from Western Washington, where also. they had it. I mean, yeah, talking over me is not going to change the fact, man. And when they were they were blastooning like all these, you know, Marxism, monuments. Marxism is not inherent. Hang on, let let me speak. Let me speak, sir. I've got to go anyway. I, 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 let me speak, okay? Let me let me use uh, the iconography, the iconoclasm of the left in Seattle, Washington. All right, they were going over. They were knocking over statues of you know. <coughs> old white men, okay? Stalin and Lenin are old white men, okay? And there was a statue of Lenin in, in, in Fremont, and it stood, okay? So it had nothing to do, it had more to do with the politics and the underpinnings of our republic that's what they were gunning for. 
rather than Vladimir Lenin, who was not associated. Is it Vladimir? I hope it's Vladimir. It's Lenin. It's still Lenin. It was still a statue. Okay, it was still standing. But that culture, that society, was a genocidal society. And, it, you know, these are the crimes. These are the crimes that they were getting knocked over. Genocidal and slavery, a part of communism. Fundamental bedrock of communism is to take all the money and all the stuff and make it go to the government. Okay? And then everybody has the same shitty poor standard. And then the people at the top get everything. That is serfdom. So that's my definition of serfdom. Go ahead. Go ahead. Unmute your mic. If you please. See you please. Sorry, I have to take an emergency. Can you say the main point that you were, you were, you were saying? Pardon? I had to take an emergency phone call when you were talking. Sorry. Uh, I what I said was that in Seattle there is a there is an iron cast statue of Lenin in Fremont. Have you okay. read Lenin? I don't need to read much of Lenin. I have read some, but that's not the point. The point is that there was a statue of Lenin, and while they were knocking over other statues of other old white men associated with slavery and genocide, they forgot one. He is a white man. Uh, the Russian Soviet state was both a slavery state and a genocide state. They killed yeah, their own people. They were demonized. It was corrupted they did it on by the... Stalin. Are you kidding me? Lenin was like the, the operational like bastion of, of Marxism. Marxism. Okay, Marxism is an yeah. economic system. Yes, it is, but, you know, th that he would have had nothing without it. State Marxism is Marxism misunderstood. As we all know, Marx famously says that the state, you know... Why am I having this? Marxism correctly yeah. understood is an anarchist... Why am I talking about Marxism again on my own show? I, I don't really want to do this. Like, I, I diselect to have well, this conversation at this point. If you want to have a Marxist show, we can do a Marxist show, but this is supposed to be about the problem of race sanctioning after BLM. It, it is off, off topic. the same fucking identitarian nonsense. I, I don't know. I, I think you lost me, bro. Identitarian. Identitarian. Does anybody want to call in? And, and Joe, I know you wanted to say something. Uh, we had had some sort of stream of discussions. I think you wanted to, to say something conservative. Uh, but you you didn't oh there he is okay so I'm gonna make the next caller all right Joe unmute your mic hello can you hear me okay yes all right so what are we talking about right now are we talking about what you and I have been talking about for the last couple of days well this topic today is the the racist sanctioning after BLM and the sanctioning that happens to normal people, normie norms, like how 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 another black person became a, a a racist after the BLM riots, and everybody became bad if they didn't do what BLM wanted. So that that's dying down. There's there's blowback. Was it worth it? What did you get out of racism redefined by BLM? I'm actually um, kind of happy that 
all of this stuff happened because there was a whole lot of groups of people that needed a whole lot of things thrown in their face. And me personally being a humanist, I don't believe that Mother Nature makes mistakes. I don't believe that there's billions of people on this planet accidentally or just because we have these booms of economic security so we have more babies or whatever. I think there's a lot more to it. But that's another discussion. Um, as far as like with what happened with BLM, I kind of really do feel bad for the people who were and are still members of the cause because they really believed in it, but they got duped again and they really, really got screwed this time. Yeah. that's that's a very compassionate point of view I mean uh, people in the libertarian movement have been against police brutality uh, for a long time there was the evolution of of, uh, single issue groups like Cop Watch because there has been police brutality and misconduct in the police community for a while it should not be happening and how it is handled is is something that perpetuates injury to the community, and it's it looked it was looked and viewed upon like it was an outlying problem, but it is still a problem when somebody dies at the hands of the police, and uh, you know it's not just an accident in some cases, you know it's not every day. Thank God, you know this one incident was given a huge platform to to kind of blow over or kind of obfuscate the great good deeds of policemen who were active and working on the public benefit um, during the pandemic. And that was probably what pushed me right in their corner because for months we had been drilled into had been drilled into our heads that you know and honestly it's it to me it is still true they were the first responders they came when you hit the 911 button if you were choking to death on your own phlegm because of covid-19 they had to get there and take you to the hospital and there just wasn't you know how could you betray that that life-saving service you know in the we're still in the middle of a pandemic it could it could have happened there were there were several other waves of the pandemic after that and so you know to to throw them out with the bathwater because George Floyd I, I just couldn't do it I couldn't do it when I saw that George Floyd's protesters a small faction of them decided to light everything on fire and harass business owners and then starts you know using their power to sanction people and kick them out of their jobs I mean those are people that I can't defend I can defend the police because okay they have they have duty and history in the community not all of them are bad not all cops are bad I don't believe that and the majority of Americans also don't believe that all cops are bad they can definitely say some cops have done it wrong, they did it bad, they, they deserve to be you know, put out to pasture, and in some cases prosecuted. But 
you know, I'm not, I'm not at all for, you know, eliminating the third branch of government because, you know, the, the verdict did not go their way. Or the SCOTUS opinion did not go their way, Nancy Pelosi. You don't eliminate the third branch of government. That is a hostile position to take against, you know, our government. You know, we need the justice system. You know, if she's working for the cartels or the criminals, I could t- I could see why she would say, oh, let's get rid of them. You know, if she's taken a great big payoff from the criminal organizations whom have corrupted her indefinitely uh, so that they can operate out of, you know, San Francisco. You know, I could see that. I could see her saying that. That's her constituency, the ones that pay her other bills. I agree. She's definitely working with the cartels. And her whole family's corrupt. But um, back to the BLM and Antifa thing. We really needed this to happen. We needed to see where we are as a country because we really got fat, stupid, and lazy over the last few decades. And we have destroyed our generations from doing so. So right now that this is in our face and we can recognize it and we're pushing back on it, we need to get organized and do something about it. But I want everybody to keep in mind, though, um, no matter your politics or understanding of politics, everybody has a trillions of dollars annually of a corrupt uh, media and government working against all of us. So don't be so harsh on the leftists try to get them on your side by I mean really we agree on a lot of stuff right I agree with a lot we, of left we agree on stuff, some stuff but there's some conflict I'm not going to ignore right. the conflict just like I won't ignore the, the the fact that racism is being over appropriated to, to things that are not very I don't either what I'm saying is what they're keeping in our face is all the violence and all the screaming and yelling and cursing and you know and everything like that uh, the loud right? stuff, yeah. most of the people most of us are not those people. Most of us are in agreement on most things, and we got to find a way to bridge that gap and push those extremist pieces of shit out of it. Mm. So so what are the three normie norm platform things that you would say that the right and the left really need to get together and go to, go to work on? Three, just three. Joe. Okay, here's what I would do. I don't know about three or whatever, but I would call well, out whatever whatever you can put out there. One or two. Okay. I, as a normie person, would call out all the grifters on the left and the right who keep coming out with all these extremist ideas and accusing each other one way or another, blah, blah, blah. We call them out and we say, prove it. You say that that a white supremacy is a problem, get your stats together. Prove it. You say that uh, minorities are being oppressed or that our federal government isn't trafficking slaves for the cartels. If you say those things aren't true, well, then we'll bring our evidence and we'll prove it, right? So let's do this objectively. Don't let them sit on TV on one side or another, never confronting each other, 
never getting the truth out there. We bring the truth, we bring the facts, and we ask them the questions. That's what I would do to fix it. Well, to start to fix okay. it. With the okay. Government, <clears throat> and then with the government, I would do this. Um, okay, I'll start it. <laughs> okay. I would somehow get the word out, which I thought of a couple ways to get us organized, but we'll discuss that another time. But to get the word out, <clears throat> at the very least, let's all agree, it doesn't matter what side of your politics, let's all agree that if a politician has been in office for at least 20 years, we vote them out of office. That would cut them off at the knees right there. Think of who that would get rid of automatically if we could all agree to that. I don't know. It's something. It's definitely something to think about, Joe. Let, let, let's mull it over. I'll think about it. And uh, thank you so much for joining us. I, I know you. You took up, plucked up a lot of uh, gum to to take take call and call. So thank you for appearing here with your voice openly. Well, thank you with your voice. And I love your uh, podcast. Oh, yay! Thank you! Alright, we're gonna go to and Owen. I'm at it. Okay, great! We'll, 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 uh, we'll talk to you soon. Okay, Owen, go ahead. Hello, Sheila. How are you today? <laughs> I'm hanging in there. <laughs> this is a bo- post-BLM talk. <laughs> I've got, I've got a lot of friends in the room with me, so go ahead. Uh, how? Let, let me ask you the, the main focusing question: Was it worth it? What did you get out of racism redefined? Oh, racism redefined. Um, could you maybe define that in your own personal way, if you don't mind? <laughs> well, I mean, I would. I think I would define it as like what racism is not. Mm. What racism is not. Because after 2020, racism didn't really mean racism. I mean, people had theoretical racism. They had, um, they had, they had, there's so many theoretical high ivory tower terms for for what racism, but the general, like, let me look up the Webster's, (laughs) it's not a policy definition, it's Webster's Dictionary. Let me see, I'm just going to punch this in right now. Okay, I'm going to punch in the term racism. Okay. Going there right now. Racism. There you go. Racism is, what is it, a noun? Adverb? A belief that a race is a fundamental determinant of human traits and capabilities and that racial differences produce an inherent superiority of a particular race. Now, the only superiority that I believe in, really, for all humans is that truth is superior to lies. Period. Truth has ultimate supremacy over lies at all times. So, that, to me, Merriam-Webster, you know, if you ask me what what racism is? I'm gonna to go to Merriam-Webster because it's grounded in reality. Okay, I I'm, I'm. I. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, uh, in relation to a bunch of things that are going on today when it comes to social media sites, 
doing a lot of censorship. I just asked to like, uh, like to ask you some, my apologies. Um, who gets to determine what the truth is when it comes to that in your opinion? Who determines the truth? Mm-hmm. When it comes to uh, social media sites and censorship of language. I don't, I don't really think that anyone has the right to censor anyone. That's, that's the whole point of my program is that it's an unsanctioned program. It's unsanctioning. We don't, we don't uh, promote censorship of any kind because it's, it's, we're, we're rehabbing free speech right now and relearning that about free speech. So I'm not, I'm not going to think tank how to censor or, you know, tamp it down because we know that the, we have lost something and the screws have been turned on quite tightly uh, to favor the architecture of censorship by other people. Typically, it is the tech companies on the tech platforms who are doing some of the censorship, some of them. Okay, but it is also people who want to editorialize speech while you're talking. I've noticed that our culture has gotten into this nasty habit of playing speech editor to the other person while they are talking and it is obnoxious as hell it's something that intellectuals typically do when they're trying to top one another but it is really unsatisfactory for you know people who are just going about their day um in you know shopping buying groceries you know going to the bank whatever you you know the mundane you know sundry do your thing do your thing um, you're having a conversation and then they correct you about things that are not flawed. Like, why am I being corrected over something that isn't wrong? So that it's, it's obnoxious, but people are kind of being trained how to do that in our culture. And I don't could think it's... An, uh, maybe, I'm sorry, could you maybe give an example of, of that? Like, uh, you, like a personal example, like you went through, like your uh, language was corrected in some way? Well, um, okay. Uh, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, when people talk to you, and I, I would say the most common example, like in the last month or so, is the gender identity. Um, like they, they want you to start using pronouns. <clears throat> for for people who are obvious, you've known them for six years, and they all of a sudden they want you to start using pronouns all over the place, and it's it's trendy and ridiculous, and you don't want to do it. And you know these are people that you know, you know they they have a, a husband and kids, you know that she is she her hers, because that's the way it is. Um. There's no like hidden, hidden gender bomb in there. You know, you know that this person isn't like a closet trans or something. You know, you know what the score is, but all of a sudden they want you to start using pronouns. And if you don't pronoun the hell out of everyone, then they start getting cop copy with your speech. They start policing your speech. Has anybody else had that problem? If you could just kind of send me a little, you know, emoticon if anybody else has been speech copped. 
<laughs> okay. Thank you. I'm you not have. alone. You know, uh, I, you know, people who you have with uh, your your own friends who have uh, transitioned or, or people who identify in different ways is, is a problem you have. No, no. Group. I mean, these are these are normie normie norm people. Like I said, you know, you're just going about your business. You know, these are people I've known for like six years or so. You know what the score is? They they're like a mother with two kids and they're married or something, and they uh, they just they're like, no, you're gonna you're gonna start addressing me with pronouns. I'm going to train you. Like, this is ridiculous. Hmm. So you're talking Sir. about people uh, outside of, I guess, the uh, queer or, or whatever community trying to... Like, yeah, they, they start they start speech copying. These are people hmm. that should not be speech copying anyone for the Marxist movement. <laughs> yeah, I definitely do understand that in that way. Um, the experiences <laughs> that I've actually had with, uh, I guess, either gay or trans or other type of people that I know, usually they're not as serious about it, and they're honestly pretty okay if you make a couple of mistakes. And I honestly think that the people who are hard on saying certain things are people who are outside of the group. Like, there are some people who aren't Black who try to say like try to co- correct your language when they're outside the group and even when they're around black people they just sound very strange because they they don't know what to say because they're nervous about making any mistakes which is very funny yeah i don't i don't really you know i let i, I stay out of the the whole you know black thing because like you know what I feel like I'm just never going to do anything right and that's not the way it's supposed to be but that's the way it is I just there's people who are really on their their race thing you know you're not going to do anything right so you're you're supposed to be wrong what do I mean I mean that Mm -hmm. you know it is impossible to to do anything right they have already made up who you are they have read you down and as soon as you open your mouth, they have got 12 ways you're wrong before you even, you know, they've decided that, I, they decided that I am white. They decided that I am uh, a colonizer. They don't know me. They didn't ask about me. They don't, you know, they don't, they might not even know my name, but dude, they have made all these decisions about who I am and my identity on sheer presumption. And this is who they need me to be. In that moment, so that they can have their their little political opportunity or their religious uh, ejaculation. So Ooh. I don't, you know, I don't mess with people now. It, there's a tone, there's a vibe, there's you get you get to realize, you know, oh, this person is grounded. They're here with me in reality. I can talk to them about donuts. It's not. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> You know, it's it's not going to be an issue. You know, I can ask them for directions. I don't feel scared. <laughs> you know? There's just a vibe. You know, you you, you don't. You, I'm not worried about it. You know that that's not racism. Okay, racism is when you deal with somebody who already has that situation. And you know what? I think that's racism. I think when I have come across a black person who conducts themselves this way that they are actually racist and I was confused about that 
because I'm, you know, I'm half Hispanic, you know, native person, and I'm also, you know, half white. And so that's mm. that's been kind of a that's caused people to have some some cognitive dissonance. It's really, you know, I think the ways that I have been treated, um, the ways that I have been treated is that you know they ask me what I am, not who I am, what I am. I'm like, wow. Um, and you know, it's not always like weirdo people that just are curious. You know, you can tell when somebody's like just genuinely curious like they've never met anybody like you um and then there's the type of people who who want you to be different because they are them and Hmm. that's just not that's just not possible i can't just be somebody different because i happen to be in the same you know vicinity as you i can't do that yeah, it, that definitely sounds like. Uh, <laughs> Sorry, like, Owen, I can't do it. <laughs> well, that's, that's all right. It definitely sounds like a, a difficult event that you maybe went through when it come when it came to like your interactions with certain people who some would say were race baiting or things like that. Could you maybe speak to that or maybe speak more into detail about that? Because that sounds like something that I don't know. Uh, impacted you a lot and if you don't feel comfortable with it I definitely understand well I mean I I can't I I don't know what I could say to to really you know massage that I mean it didn't really you know it never became kind of an option you know I think I started being conditioned after a while by certain elements of the culture to, to really think about it more critically but when I started confronting some of the uh, histories that, you know, I, I just unavoidable histories, it was really kind of, you know, I, I checked in with some stuff you know, that was really traumatic. and But I didn't make it everybody's problem. But what I did notice, um, you know, and this doesn't fit in the BLM column. You know, it doesn't fit in, you know, a, a place where I would go out and, and set things on fire and and cause riots in the streets or even identify with that. You know, I couldn't be grandfathered into that. I couldn't be folded or agitated into, to, to public violence because I just don't believe that, you know, and what does that mean? It means that I'm an individual who makes choices. I'm an individual person and I believe in the individual choice. You know, everything about my life is constructed on a series of choices. And if you feel or believe that you have no choice, then that is learned some form of learned helplessness. And so some of those things you can be, you know, I have been confronted with people who are just ignorant. They just don't know. Like they have never been confronted at any with any kind of challenge to their personal assertions, they intend to be authoritative at every, at every speaking level about these things, but no one has ever challenged them. So they'll walk out and they'll say, I'm in charge. This is the truth. And they're being stupid. And so I will write a nasty letter 
to say Fox News or Tucker Carlson when he gets it wrong. And then after that, things are different because we had discussion. And that is the purpose of free speech. The purpose of free speech is that we are human beings together having an experience and we knock the rough edges off of one another. Because I don't, at the end of the day, the compassion is I want the truth. And when someone is operating under a falsehood, that is not compassion. You don't let them like wave around a lie and treat it like the truth or wave around a mis misinformation or some some form of you know un unchallenged assertion because when you challenge people's assertions they have an opportunity to think for themselves and then rebut but when you take debate off of the table and you don't allow intellectual challenge to to happen then you get this you get what we have and it is awful <laughs> would you consider so, that um, the policing of language would count in your opinion as a sort of racial sanctioning that happened after 2020 and all of those protests I would say that it's definitely a type of, of sanctioning it's, it's a type of struggle shaming that is derivative of critical theory it's, it's actually from a Soviet or communist playbook Mm. Yeah, I would say that. Could you maybe name, uh, in your opinion, some more uh, specific racial sanctionings that you saw after 2020? I'd be very interested to know. Like like racial sanctionings or just speech sanctionings? You're talking about speech sanctionings. Okay. Oh, that, that's my I, I just, control room editor. She's, she's, she's objecting to the question. <laughs> okay. Do oh, you have a different um, question? My apologies. Yeah, I was just asking about racist sanctioning because of uh, the topic of, I guess, the subject today was like racist sanctioning after BLM. That's that's all I wanted to know. My apologies. No, no, it, was... it's not racist sanctioning, just sanctioning. Like people getting kicked out of their jobs, human rights sanctioning. Okay, and and when I say sanctioning, meaning like embargoes, you know, kicking people out for things that are that the ballooning meaning of racist versus normative race because we established at the beginning of our conversation what racist is and what it is not mm. Mm. and you know and, and it's okay that you have a different belief um, but when I don't believe what you believe let's say let's say we, we disagreed on this let's say we disagreed or that maybe you were a vesicle of the BLM movement and you you woke up and you read five verses of Ibrahim Kinde before before breakfast and then worshipped at the BLM altar. Let's say you did that. Um, <laughs> uh, uh, it would be a very big challenge for me to even hold a conversation with you without getting shouted down because I would have to be kicked off of my platform for even having a a different idea and that's the kind of world that we're in right now because of, of some of the DEI some of it is beneficial but when it's not beneficial and it becomes human rights sanctioning for things that are not criminal or not ordinarily offensive in any way that they're they are quite extreme you know they're they're going going after the norm core of America, and they don't agree. They have a right to not agree with with BLM. 
they have a right to to their own ideas and that is the lesson for me mm. you have a right to your own ideas too well uh, thank you so much for answering all of my questions yeah <laughs> oh well thank you oh, and thank you for, for joining all my questions today I, really I, I hope it was I helpful. I can join you and we can talk. Gotcha. Okay. Have a nice rest okay. of your day. You too. Thank you, Owen. Bye. All right. Um, we are at 1230 mark. Uh, if anybody else would like to uh, join me for for a call, a quick call. Uh, otherwise, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to wrap it up. I'm going to do the outro this time because I didn't do the intro today because it's been such a loaded talk. But I'm I'm really happy and grateful for all the people who have joined me on calling today um, about this discussion. Honestly, uh, we're still kind of rehabbing the 1984 politics in the English language meetings. <laughs> uh, we're going to continue to do that um, because racism racism shouldn't be defined by people. Uh, to mean things that it doesn't mean you know it shouldn't mean all the bloated things that it's become I, I can't even get to, to the list of things that have become racist you know I, I just want to focus on the, the, the Websters and it's just giant noise and and the, the tragic thing you know bloody this goes to your your out of the cannon shot there <sighs> you know Real racism is getting away with it. You know, it. you know, David Duke's folks are still out there, and I think that they're they're actually being given more tolerance because this counter-racism business is, you know, just kind of like a wrecking ball, you know, root-hogging everything. And they're just kind of getting away with, with extremism in some form. Um, they're not checked. They don't believe differently. We haven't convinced them that you know they should take a different position on on uh, integrated society, because we're we've been suddenly overtaken with a a an ideology that is is completely hostile to norm core America. So with that, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's it's a point you're going to probably hear again, but I wanted to rehab the moment and give it some space. So with that, I'm going to wrap it up, and thank you all for joining. Thanks for listening. Before you go, hit the subscribe button. Remember that callers are welcome. Subscribers can access unsanctioned citizen podcast archives at Substack, Automatic, iHeartRadio Podcasts, and Call-In. Please stay in touch. We want to hear from you. Visit SheilaMDean.com.